moment as we read the Word of God tonight. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. He says in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 4, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. You may be seated. Now I'm going to tell you what I've heard taught even from pulpits and independent Baptist churches about this verse, but we're going to look at what it actually says. And the thing that I've always heard is that somehow or another when Jesus died that he spent three days in hell on our behalf and that what he did then was led a group of people that were captive in a place called Hades out of Hades and then he took them up to heaven with him. And so these are the teachings that we've heard, and here's the thing. <clears throat> to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. Now, I just want you to keep, God's Word cannot contradict itself. Would you agree? Amen. And so we have to be very conscientious about what we say, about what we believe, and you need to know what you believe, not just, here's what we become. We become repeaters, not readers. We repeat what we hear rather than what we know. And so I want to challenge our thinking in this a little bit. First of all, this set of passages has absolutely nothing to do with hell. Nothing. There's nothing in relationship to hell in these passages. In fact, it has everything to do with Christ giving gifts unto men who are in the local church. Because in the very next verses that you see, he talks about those gifts that he's given unto men. <laughs> and so we see that you're not going to give gifts to dead men. <laughs> You're going to give gifts to the living. So as we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, remember that through it all, the gift of Christ is salvation offered to man. And so how did that all come about? What, what happened? Now, here's the thing. We always want to know, where did the Old Testament saints go when they died? How many of you have had that question in your mind? Where did they go? So everybody says, well, they went to paradise. Well, where is paradise? It's in Abraham's bosom. Well, what is Abraham's bosom? <laughs> Well, your pastor's done a lot of study. The word paradise is only used three times in the Scriptures, and each time it's used, it's in reference to heaven. Each time it's used, it's in reference to heaven. Not some holding cell for souls for some period of time. You can't find that in the Bible. And so whenever you come in and you read these Scriptures, he's talking here about, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And so... Here we find the subject of Christ giving gifts unto the local New Testament church. And, and we've got to study the scriptures out so that when we hear false teachings, it's revealed to us by the Spirit of the Lord. So the Spirit of God is the one that reveals or manifests these true truths to us. He, he brings forth what we understand and know and believe. And so as you read and you pray and you study, uh, the Spirit assists you in understanding that truth. Now, we know that according to John. Would you agree with that? <laughs> John chapter 14 and verse 26, the Bible clearly says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. He'll bring it back to your mind. He'll help you remember. He manifests his word to us. So when we open this, there's not a single solitary person in here that if you're saved, you cannot understand what the Bible says. It does require sometimes reading and studying. 
And what I want to challenge you to do is ask God the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the truth before you open up any man's commentary. Before you go find out what Google has to say or the Internet has to say or uh, what Charles Spurgeon had to say or what some other man had to say, listen, read your Bible. (laughs) Read your Bible. God promised us in the Scriptures that He can reveal some things to us. So our understanding of the Scripture truth is vital to our spiritual growth and our ability to identify false teachings. Now, this Pastor Shoup, I'm not putting him down, but I just flat out tell you he's wrong. The Bible does not teach what he's teaching. I cannot find it. If you give me his Dewey Reigns Bible, I'll open it up and I'll show you that he's wrong. He is not teaching truth to people. And so there is no idea in this sense of this Holy Week beginning on Friday. So I'm challenging you tonight. Are you exercising your spiritual life through reading, praying, and studying the Bible? So the following passages are misused uh, by many. Uh, to ascribe to a belief about Jesus Christ entering into hell during his three days in the grave, and that's not even the subject matter. (laughs) It's not even the subject matter. And so do we take things out of context and make it fit what we want it to say, or do we take and go read the Bible and put ourselves back into what the truth is? And so when I look at this, let's study together what these verses actually teach so that you're able to defend your own heart and your own mind against false teachings of various religions. And so Christians, I believe, were to study Scripture to avoid false teachings. One of the things that it talks about here is the gift of Christ and and then Christ providing a gift to us, and we're going to talk about that. And then Christ leading captivity captive, what does that mean? And then Christ's incarnation and ascension, what does that mean? So I want to talk about the gift of Christ first. If you look at verse 7, it says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Drop down to verse 11. And I want to ask a question of you now. Why would God, the Lord Jesus Christ, have to give this to dead people? And he says in verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The gifts he's talking about here are the gifts that he supplies to you and me when we get saved. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this because sometimes we misunderstand this as well. In the study of the Scriptures we find a truth regarding the grace of Jesus Christ and the saved. Not only the gift of salvation, but everyone that gets saved, Jesus Christ gives you a specific, at least one gift that he then in turn wants you to utilize in the ministry and in your service to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's clear in the scriptures. I'm not only going to show you here in Ephesians, but it's in Romans and it's in Corinthians as well. There are a gift, God has given you at least one gift at least one. Now, we've seen people that are very talented, have we not? And God supplied them with multiple gifts. But what he gives us is at least one to use for his service in the ministry. Now, a spiritual gift is not abilities that you received as a human, but what's been imparted to you by Christ at the point of your salvation. Now, these are the gift or gifts that are to be used by you. So Paul started off this chapter with what all Christians have in common, and then what different believers have, he goes on to explain that each of us have various gifts. And this is talking about some of those various gifts that are given unto us. Now, I did an assessment one time, Pastor Nichols did an assessment one time, and I found out that uh, I have the gift of evangelism. (laughs) 
And, and so I like to evangelize. I like to win people to Christ. It's just part of my makeup that God gave me. Now, why did he give me that gift? I have no idea, but I know he did. And so as they kind of talked to me a little bit about what, what it is that I enjoy doing the most, the thing I enjoy the most is winning souls to Christ. I, I love that one-on-one -on -one environment where I'm sitting down with the Bible and opening it up and sharing the gospel with someone. There's no greater joy in my life than to do that with someone. It, it beats uh, preaching to a crowd of thousands. <laughs> and, and there's no greater joy than to sit down and do that. Now, that's a gift God has given to me, and I enjoy it. But God has also gifted you. The gift that Christ provides to the Christian is designed to do something, to unify, to edify, and to build up the body of Christ. The gift that God gave you to serve him is to unify and to edify and to build up this body of believers. So everyone in here has been given at least one gift at salvation. So if you're saved, he's given you a gift, and he wants you to use it for the unification, the edification, and the building up of the body of believers that you're a part of. And so that's what he wants you to use it for. And there's a difference between natural abilities. Now, we're not talking about mechanics and athletics and arts and music, and all those are so, but it's not like uh, I got saved one day and could not sing, and now I have this beautiful singing voice. <laughs> Uh, that's not the gift he gave me. It's not that one day I was speaking in English and now I'm able to speak uh, uh, in Spanish because I got saved. That's not, that's not what he's talking about at all. But what it is is that he supplies us with a gift that we can use and a spiritual gift is one that's given by God, a talent given by God to serve God and others for glorifying Christ and edifying the believer. Now the spiritual gift is enhanced or developed by fellowshipping with other Christians in a local New Testament church. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to turn to all these tonight. I'll have you here till midnight. So Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. I want you to go read that when you get an opportunity to go read that. And when you look at verses 3 through 8, you'll understand the importance of fellowshipping with one another and how that enhances whatever the gift is that God gave you. So when you hear folks say that I do not need to be in church to worship God, that's a lie. That's not true. Yes, you do. You need to be around God's people, fellowshipping with God's people. If you have an ability to be here, you ought to be here. Amen. And you ought to fellowship with God's people because what it does, it gives you and provides you opportunity to take that gift that God has given to you to use in that local New Testament church. Now, spiritual gifts, by the way, it's not toys in a toy chest. Uh, they're tools, and God provides them to the local church. And by the way, right now, where Calvary Chapel Baptist Church in Minster, Ohio is, in its, in its membership and everything else, God has given us everything we need right now. As we grow, God will add to what we need. He'll bring us people. He'll bring us individuals. He'll provide people to the ministry. And listen, it's not my job to bring them in. It's God's job to bring them in. <laughs> It's my job to go out and compel them to come in, amen? But it is God who builds the church. Are, we, are you with me? God does that. I can't do it, folks. God builds the work. So as I share this with you, they, they are to be used in love and not as weapons to fight with one another. Now, Paul had a big problem with this. If you go over and you read in Corinthians and you read from chapter 12 to chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians, and by the way, I saw a church named the First Corinthians Baptist Church. I would not name our church the First Corinthians Baptist Church. Amen? Amen. There was some serious... I, I thought to myself, good night, man. 
they must really not think anything about themselves because it was a rough place. And you know, whenever people say, well, God's teaching about speaking in tongues and all this kind of stuff over there, and he's telling you what was taking place and what needs to cease. And Paul said, will they not think that you are mad if you're all standing around speaking in tongues and it's unnecessary today? You see, the book of Corinthians is a book of rebuke. He's actually rebuking them. This letter is rebuking these people for what they're doing. And he said, now listen, here's how things are to be done. And he gave you the order of things. And if that's not done in such an order, then, then they're wrong. <laughs> and we need to be able to look at that truth and say, I understand that truth. And I'm able to stand on that truth. Now, we see the following passages that Christ is the giver of gifts through the Holy Spirit, which indwells the believer. If you look at verse 4, Chapter 4, look at verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So here's the thing. You ain't got anything more than I got. <laughs> Amen? And I ain't got no more than you got. <laughs> because we all got the same spirit. Amen? Now, some of you act like it sometimes that you don't have the right kind of spirit. <laughs> but the thing of it is, is we all have the same spirit because God said so, right? And so there's one spirit, one baptism, one God. There's one Christ, amen? And he gave us gifts. And he said, now, I gave this church gifts. And the gifts that he gave this church, now you're to use that for this ministry and for the service to the Lord now. So now we're going to get into this idea so that you can defend your heart and your mind and exercise your spiritual life through reading and praying and studying. So right now, what have I said about anything about hell? Other than the fact that I told you this isn't about that at all, right? That's right. Not about it at all. I don't even know where they get the subject from. And this is about the gifts of God to man. <laughs> and so as I read this, the second thing is, uh, sinners that were bound by an eternal hell were set free by an eternal Savior, and it says, Christ leading captivity captive. So when we look at this verse, he said, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So here's the thought. The false teaching is, is that Christ went down into hell and set all those people free. Or he went to Hades, where they were in a holding cell, and he set them free. What does that teach you and me? What does that teach us? That you can get out of hell. Right? Mm -hmm. How many of you in here believe that tonight, that you can get out of hell? Amen. How many of you understand that it's a permanent place? Amen. Once you're there, your soul ain't getting out. Yeah. So if we ascribe to what we just read in that man's article, we ascribe to that being true. Mm. So I want to challenge you. When I look at this, Christ ascended into heaven as the victor forever, which refers back to the Old Testament illustration by Paul. Paul used an Old Testament illustration. He used Psalm 68, 18. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. So this psalm is about a triumphant warrior that Paul's speaking about, and he's using this illustration in the New Testament. And so it's about this triumphant warrior which is elevated when he returns 
with the host of prisoners, receiving gifts from those he conquered, and then he gives them to his followers. <laughs> and so as we look at this, only in this case, the captives are not his enemies, but his own. And let me tell you what this teaches. Sinners who were once held captive by sin and Satan have now been taken captive by Christ, even in death itself, or and in, in, in what he's done is he's defeated the foe of death itself. He has now taken what was captive, sinners, we were captive in our sin, were we not? Now what he's done is he set us free, basically, if you will. And those that were once captive, he led captivity now captive. He now has us. He has us. Because he saved our souls. Now let me get to the point here. When you think about this, sinners who were once held captive by sin and Satan and have now been taken captive by Christ and even death itself that defeated foe, when he came to earth, Christ experienced the depths of humiliation. And I don't have time to go into all this either, folks. But in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Where it goes, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. How many of you know all of that? And it gets down and it begins to talk about the humiliation that Christ went through. But when he ascended to heaven, he experienced the very highest exaltation of the position. And, and there's a name above all names. How many of you know the verse, right? A name above every name. So we see him experience humiliation and we see him be exalted. Are you with me? So we see him come down and experience in the flesh, right? What has happened? He descended. <laughs> he came down. So here's the idea now. Uh, Christ conquered Satan and all that had conquered us and we've been given the gifts of salvation, the Holy Ghost, and at least one spiritual gift whereby we're to serve the Savior and to build up this body of believers now. So the verse that follow are to provide the proof that only Jesus Christ fits this description. And he's the victor over Satan, sin, and death. And so what he's saying to you and to me is, is now he took what was captive and he led captivity now captive. Am I making sense? How many of you are just absolutely confused now? What he did was, is I was captive in my sin. <laughs> and so my captivity is now captive by him. He's taken me into his captivity, if you will. So the passage is teaching this. So this is where the scriptures now get distorted by some in that the case is made that Jesus went to an eternal hell and escaped and led to all those that were in Hades is what it teaches. He set them free. Where do you see Hades in this passage? Where do you see hell written in this passage? Where do you see anything in relationship to that at all? Not at all. In fact, you can look up all the Greek words you want to and you can't find it in that passage. And it doesn't teach that. So, let me share this with you. Your pastor doesn't ascribe to this explanation found in our commentaries and it fits the description of what some false religions teach. But I'll tell you, further studies that have been done beyond these commentaries and the mere mention of these passages and others from pulpits, I have concluded that Christ was victorious over Satan's sin and death. Would you agree? Was he victorious over Satan, sin, and death? <laughs> so why would he have to go to hell for us then at that point? He didn't have to. He became victorious. Let me tell you what hell was for Christ. <laughs> when he was hanging on the cross and the sins of the world were placed upon his shoulders, God had to turn him back on what? The Savior, didn't he? So what was placed upon him at that point? That was hell for Christ right there. He took our sin. And God had to turn his back on his only begotten. Now, I want you to understand something. When God turned his back, Christ had never been in that position before. That was hell for Christ. 
And so he took all of our sins upon his shoulders. And what happened is, is when he took all that sin upon his shoulders, the weight of all that sin came down upon him. And so what killed Jesus Christ? The 40 stripes? The hanging on the cross? The piercing? You know what I mean? The, thorn, the crown of thorns? The, you know, what took his life? What took his life was our sin. <laughs> That's what took our Savior's life. And so if God cannot look upon sin and Jesus Christ became sin for us, are you with me? What did God have to do whenever he took on the sin of the world? And so God had to turn his back on his only begotten son. He had never been in that position before. And so now his body now lay in a grave. Now, the only departure was his natural body lay in the grave with others, and those three days were not spent in hell, but in the presence of the Lord. Because the Bible teaches us, and it does not distinguish between Old and New Testament saints, by the way, to be absent from the body is to be present where? With the Lord. The Bible teaches us clearly to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So here's what happens. So when my physical body dies, so let's say pastor dies tonight, what happens to me? What happens to me? So I have this physical body that you can see, right? So does my soul go to a holding place until Christ come and get it? Or do I go to be with God in heaven? Now here's the thing. I believe that soul was with God. And when we talk about paradise, it's a place where it was set aside for God. They had to have done that. Because they could not have been in hell. If all those people went to hell, then Jesus went down to hell to release all those people who died, and they kept that law for no reason. And so what they were doing is showing their faith in Christ by being that type of person. So they had to have faith in Christ. To go and make those sacrifices did not save them. Would you agree? Right. So when they made those sacrifices, did they get saved because they made those sacrifices? Absolutely not. And so what saved their soul then? What saved their soul? I mean, we can be open here tonight. What saved their soul? Their belief in who? Had to be. And so now we as Christians adapt to another religion and say, well, they've told us this, and so that's kind of where we are with it. And so we just adapt rather than study. Now, the only departure was his natural body lay in the grave with others, and those three days were not spent in hell, but in the presence of the Lord. If we ascribe to the belief, then we propagate a false narrative, folks. I'm sorry. We just do. If we teach that, we teach something false. Because it cannot be true, and then the rest of the Scriptures be true as well. And that some were able to be brought out of hell. Yet the Scriptures teach to the contrary, and the Bible ascribes to the following truth. Turn to it with me, if you will. Go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 6 with me, if you will. He says in verse 6 of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, Therefore we are, uh, therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 
So there's no distinguishing between Old and New Testament saints, but the absence from the body is to be present with the Lord. So ascribing to the thought that Christ going to hell for three days, what, uh, what would be the reason that he did that? Uh, for he had made the following statement to the thief on the cross, and I just challenge us with this in Luke 23, 43. Why would he then say to the thief on the cross, and Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today uh, shalt thou be with me in paradise. Why would he say that to that to that saint or to that uh, sinner hanging on the cross. Why would he tell him, you'll be with me in paradise? So where did Jesus go then? So if he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise, then why would our Savior go to hell? That conflicts with scriptures, doesn't it? <laughs> and so when you look at that, that's a conflict. And so I share with you to defend your heart and your mind, exercise your spiritual life through reading, praying, and studying the Bible, identify those false teachings. Now, Jesus came in the flesh and returned in heaven in his glorified body. Look at verses 9 and 10 back in Ephesians with me, if you will. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verses 9 and 10. Now, uh, that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the, all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, the following verses simply speak of the incarnation of Christ, Jesus coming down to man in the flesh, and the ascension, Christ returning unto the Lord in his glorified body. <laughs> That's what it's teaching. And so what they've taught is that that lower parts of the earth, they're saying that's hell. That's not what that teaches. It doesn't even mean that here. And so whenever you look at this, you have to know the truth. His resurrection and ascension is what we celebrate on Easter, so the fact that Christ paid the penalty for our sin died a physical death, separated from the Father, which would be hell for Christ, and rose again with a glorified body on the third day. Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> they have Good Friday, <laughs> and the Bible teaches something very different. Okay? I want you to go look at this verse with me. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. I know this is new for some of you, but I'm telling you, you go do your homework and you'll see. Look at verse 40. Chapter 12 and verse 40. Everybody with me? Amen. Amen. For as Jonas, he's saying Jonah, was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. <laughs> if Jesus died at Friday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, there's no way he was three days in the grave. Couldn't have been. Couldn't have been. And so whenever you go back and you do some historical study and you find out when the Passover was and what was taking place and all the things that had occurred up to that point, there's no way Jesus died on a Friday at 3 o'clock and he was three days in the grave. It doesn't add up. Jesus had to die on a Wednesday for this to occur based on Jewish time from sunup to sundown. And so, you know, we have sunrise services and we... Uh, ascribe to that fact, but the fact is, is he had to be three days in the what? Either that or God's lying to us, isn't he? There's no way he died at three o'clock in the afternoon and was three days in the grave because even the Jewish uh, uh, time frame tells us that after three o'clock, it's the next, you know, as the sun sets into the next day. So there's no way he died on Friday. <laughs> at the latest or at the earliest uh, at the latest, Wednesday, at the earliest, Thursday, he had to die. 
And you say, why does that matter? <laughs> because you're subscribing to a belief that doesn't adhere to scriptures. And so there's no Good Friday, if you will. Uh, you know, Friday's here, but Sunday's coming. I hear that said all the time. But the fact is, is that according to this passage, what had to happen? He had to be how many days in the grave? What does that passage teach us? For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. It had to happen that way. Either that or God's wrong. (laughs) It had to be that way. Now, I challenge you, go back and do some of your homework, because what we do, we just go ahead and ascribe to what we've been taught, and sometimes it's other religions that we allow to filter into our lives that cause us to believe these things. So as I share that thought with you, the fact that Christ paid the penalty, all of which will take place now for all who are saved, our physical body will one day lay in the grave, but the soul will be present with the Lord. So, Chris, I'll, I'll, I'll share this with you. You know, your mom and dad have passed. Their physical bodies in the grave. Where is their soul? With the Lord. Right? So, they're not, not with God. They are with God. So then, what's the rapture, folks? You've heard pastor preach on the rapture, eh? I mean, I'll get amens out of the crowd every time I preach on the rapture. So I tell you that when the rapture occurs, it says, will not prevent those. Now think about the statement. Will not prevent those that went before us or or, uh, had died before us, right? We're not going to stop them. They're going to go before us. So what are we talking about? Something has to happen, doesn't it? (laughs) There has to be a new soul and a new body. or a, A new body and you have your soul and they meet and now you have a glorified what? We shall be as him. Isn't that what the scriptures teach us? We're going to be like him now. Now, to be like him is he showed us what his glorified body was like. Remember, he didn't want them to touch him and things while he was here. And the thing of it is, is he now was in his glorified state. So when the physical body lay in the ground, so let me tell you, and I know we use this idea of soul sleep, but the idea is, is those Old Testament saints, I believe that physical body lay in the grave. Now, this is where pastor uh, can't prove everything by the scriptures, that that soul be with them right there. But I believe to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They had to be there. And there has to be a third heaven. Is that not true? Is that not true? See, we don't know that, do we? But Paul talks about having gone to the what? Third heaven, doesn't he? So there's a place where God held them until Christ died and his blood be brought into the heavens. Now that I believe, folks. <laughs> and I'm just telling you the truth from the Scriptures. Now we can continue to believe the Holy Week and what other religions teach, or we can study our Bibles and know the truth. So I challenge you with this. The rapture for the believer is the union of the soul and the glorified body which we have received from our Savior through salvation. Now the Bible says, now that he ascended, what is it that he but, uh, but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Now, I'm not going to try to school you too much, but... If you know anything about English, that's an appositional phrase. And that appositional phrase is is this idea. Uh, And a positive is a noun or a noun phrase that renames another noun that's right beside it. (laughs) It would be like me saying this. uh, uh, The insect, a cockroach, is crawling across the table. (laughs) I'm renaming it. 
Here's what it says. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? And so what God is teaching us is this. Jesus, just as Christ ascended, he also came down to earth and completely fulfilled the law and the perfect will of God to bring salvation unto all who believe. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And all that's simply talking about is the incarnation of Christ and the ascension of Christ. It has nothing to do with Jesus going to hell. Nothing at all. (laughs) Now, you can go read your commentaries or you can study your Bible and look at what it says. And I challenge you to look at what the, the Scriptures teach us. Now, leading captivity captive is simply Christ leading those that were once in their sin with death and hell hanging over them are now captive by salvation in Him and He ascends back into the heavens according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, 13 through 18. And I got to thinking about this, and this is just a sidebar for you folks. Consider the Mount of Transfiguration for a moment. Uh, when Christ is at the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke 9, 29 through 31, if Jesus had to go to Hades to release those held captive, would this then not be the place of Moses and Elijah then? Would that not be the place of Moses and then Elijah then? Would it not be the place of Moses and Elijah then? So how did he host this conversation in that manner then at the Mount of Transfiguration? What does Peter say right after that? He said, hey, let's build a, what? Uh, let, let's build a little uh, marker here so that, so that we can do this for the three of you. So I want to challenge you on your thinking just a little bit. So Moses and Elijah illustrated those whom Christ will bring with him either through death or in translation in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 15. The disciples represented those who will behold his coming. And so our salvation based on birth, sinless life, death, burial, resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ into the heavens and seated on the right hand of God. Heavy stuff, isn't it? <laughs> it's a lot to take in, but here it is. Are we going to believe in something that someone else is teaching us, or are we going to believe in what the Scriptures teach us? Now, first of all, I, I don't ascribe to, I'm telling you, I don't ascribe to the fact that Jesus died on a Friday. And I don't ascribe to the fact that Jesus went to hell, because I can't find it in the Bible. And the fact is, is what he did, he lay in the grave. Up from the grave he arose. He's not talking about uh, that place called hell or Hades at that point. He's talking about the grave in which he was laying in the tomb. And up from the grave he arose and his soul and his spirit, uh, his, his soul and his uh, body came together. Now he has a glorified body. The same thing that's going to happen for us. So our Savior came down to the earth to die for our sins and he returned unto God in a glorified state. We'll return to unite our souls with our glorified bodies, whether we be alive or whether we be in the grave. Now, I know I don't normally do this, but I've preached some tough stuff tonight. Probably some of you have heard it for the first time, and I want to ask you, almost like as in a Sunday school class, do you have a question for me? (laughs)